This morning our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke. It's in Luke chapter 7, and we'll be reading verses 18 through 25. Would you stand with me, please? Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men who had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or, we look, or do we look for another? And at that very hour, he, that's meaning Jesus, had cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. When did you, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's court. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is a he of whom it is written, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before me. Let us pray. God, we come to you and we ask that you would use this portion of the word you inspired about John the Baptist and about Jesus to help us when we face troubling times. That we may say just as we just finished singing, it is well with my soul. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So the story starts out with John sending a couple of his disciples. He's heard this report from his disciples about what's going on with Jesus. Now, why does he have to hear a report instead of see it uh, himself? Well, he's been locked up in prison. Herod, the king, had uh, not Herod the Great, who was around, but his descendant, who uh, had rule over a part of Israel, Herod had uh, done a lot of wicked things, and one of them was uh, marrying his sister-in-law. And John had the audacity to say, that's wrong. <laughs> you shouldn't do that. And uh, so Herod locked him up, and he was in prison. And we know that eventually he would be beheaded. So John cannot see for himself what Jesus is doing in his ministry, but his disciples are coming to him in prison, and they're encouraging him, feeding him, they're updating him, and they say, wow, John, you should, you should hear what's going on with Jesus. Well, first of all, you know, there was this thing about 
There's this centurion, and yeah, I know we normally hate the Romans, but this is the one everybody loves because he's the one who's good to the Jewish people, and, and he gives money for their synagogues, and he treats them all well, and we all love him, and, 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 and he wanted his servant to be healed. And so some, some of the other Jews went and asked Jesus. They said, can you please come and heal my servant? And Jesus headed that way. And when Jesus headed that way, he sent someone else, and the centurion said, Hey, Jesus, you know what? I got to thinking about it. You don't even need to come all the way to my house. He said, I understand authority because I'm over people, and my spoken word, when I say it, it gets done. And I believe you're that same way, Jesus. You speak it. You speak the word, and my servant will be healed. Don't even, don't even bother coming to my house. I'm unworthy. And Jesus said, I've never seen such great faith in all Israel. And he, he spoke that the man was healed. And when the servants got back home, they found he was already healed. And then right after that, John, you wouldn't believe it, but Jesus was walking around and he came across a funeral procession. And they were carrying this young man. He was barely out of his teenage years. And, and they were carrying him along and there was weeping and mourning. And Jesus just goes right up in the middle of it in this, this intense, reverent procession. And he says, oh, don't worry about it, folks. Everything's okay here. Young man, stand up and walk. And he did. He was raised from the dead. And stuff like this has been happening, John, over and over. And John says, I want you to go back to Jesus. I've got a question for you. I want you to ask him the question. Are you the coming one, or is there another we should expect? And so the disciples head back to where Jesus has been ministering. And all the while, uh, this, this is a miracle marathon going on. Miracle palooza, if you want to call it. I mean, this thing, Jesus is just left and right pouring out miracles. He's, he's healing the blind or seeing the lame. They're strengthening and they're walking. He's casting out demons. He's curing all kinds of diseases. And this is happening right as these disciples of John walk up and they see it all. And they say, uh, excuse me, Jesus, we don't want to disturb you. We don't want to stop any of these miracles. But we do have a question from John. And the question was, are you the coming one or is there someone else who's coming who we should expect? And Jesus says, tell them what you see, what you've heard, what you've been a part of, the blind, the deaf, the lame, the demon-possessed, all those who are afflicted, they are being healed and the gospel is being preached. The good news is going out. And so they return back. And while they are walking away, Jesus begins to talk about John the Baptist. He said, what would you go out in the desert for? To see a reed swaying? We might say, what would you go out to the desert for? To see a cactus? No, you didn't go out there just to witness some plant out in the desert. You went out there. You troubled yourself. You went to the expense and to effort and the heat. You went to see this wild man who ate locusts and dressed in crazy stuff. Because he was amazing. And there's nobody else 
that's greater than him. Because he was the one who was called to foretell, to, to be the front runner, the opening act for me as the Messiah. He was the forerunner. This is really amazing story. But the, when you think about it, certain parts of it don't make sense. Or at least they didn't to me. Because I start reading this story and I'm like, I, I don't get you, John. You sent your disciples to say, are you the one coming? Hold up, let me, let me rewind a little bit in my Gospels. Because I kind of remember that toward the beginning... You were the one that said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then I, I don't understand why when you hear about miracle after miracle of Jesus that you start questioning if he's the Messiah. I mean, wouldn't that make you all the more certain that he's the Messiah? Why do you have to go and and, and check then, it's, it doesn't make sense to me. But began, as I began to read the story more and more, I realized that John the Baptist wasn't questioning his faith. He was questioning his doubt. You see, John the Baptist, he had been the opening act for Jesus. He had been the forerunner. He had been the one way back when he was in the womb. Remember his mother Elizabeth was carrying him. And, and when Elizabeth and Mary, who was the, the mother of Jesus, when they spoke, the Bible tells us that he jumped in the womb at the sound of Mary. The Bible tells us that he was filled with the Spirit of God from his birth. He didn't have to wait like most of us do until we receive Christ and, and get his Spirit he was filled with the Spirit of God from the time that he was in the womb. His whole life was about the mission of going and going ahead of the Messiah and telling everybody, He's here. He's coming. And he did, in fact, point at Jesus and say, This is the Lamb of God. He did, in fact, say, Jesus, I shouldn't baptize you. You should baptize me. But he did baptize Jesus as Jesus commanded him to. He did follow all of these things. You see, he knew his whole life that he was headed in a certain direction. I, I'm going to grow. I'm going to develop. I'm going to be ready so that when God calls me, I'm going to be the forerunner. I'm going to be the Elijah, the prophet that's going to come out and announce Jesus. I'm the opening act for the king of kings. And I imagine he knew that, and not only did he knew that, know that, but I imagine he imagined what would come afterward. That it would just keep getting grander and grander and more amazing. But all of a sudden, John the Baptist, who has boldly spoken, who has followed Jesus, who has sacrificed everything, all of a sudden he is no longer out preaching to crowds of tens of thousands He's locked up in prison. He's not preaching to anybody anymore except for a few prison guards and a few disciples who can still come in and visit with him. And this doesn't fit with the expectations that John had. It doesn't fit with what he saw coming. You know, he wasn't given a complete promise, here's what your life's going to look like, but hey... I'm the forerunner of Jesus. 
got to be good things all the way, right? I mean, he was even a humble guy. He was the one who said, yeah, he must increase, I must decrease. It's okay if he's getting more and more disciples and some of mine are leaving. That's fine. But he never saw himself locked up in prison awaiting possible death. In fact, I kind of wonder, being a prophet as he was, if God hadn't already maybe told him, maybe nudged him, maybe gave him an impression, John, You've fulfilled your task, and you're never coming out of this place. You'll never again be out there to preach and teach the gospel the way you did before for me. And so John, in his prison cell, starts coming to grips with the fact that life isn't what he expected it to be. And though John may be from a different time, a different culture, and a wildly different mission in life, in that we are all like him. Because we all have to deal with what happens when life doesn't meet up with our expectations. When we think, when we know, oh, God is working, and, and, and I'm following him, and this is how things are going to be. And then something comes along. Maybe it's a death. Maybe it's a divorce or our parents' divorce. Maybe it's abuse. Maybe it's broken relationship. Maybe it's bankruptcy or financial trouble. Maybe it's an illness that just won't get better or even worse, an illness that cannot be discovered. And we say, when am I ever even going to find out what it is causing these problems? Maybe someone has lied about you and the truth has not prevailed. Your name has been smeared in the mud. Maybe at work or somewhere else you're not getting all that you deserve, the recognition or the promotion. Maybe things with your children or maybe things with your parents aren't going so well. And whatever it is, I could go on and on, but there's all these situations in life where life doesn't meet our expectations. And it can cause the most faithful of us, the ones of us who love Jesus with all our hearts, it can cause us to doubt. When we have unconsciously not only put our faith in Jesus, but we've put our faith in a version of events that God never promised us. But we have felt all along this is the way things are going to work out. And so Jesus, he knew exactly what John was going through. And he said to the disciples, he said, go back and report what you see. Do you notice he didn't say a thing about John being in prison? Not a single word. He said, go back and report what you see. The blind are seeing. The deaf are hearing. The lame are walking. Those who were possessed have now been freed of those evil spirits. There is a freedom from sin. The work of God is going forth. And he sent that word back because he understood that what he needed to do was not belittle John's situation. It was not to go and say, John, now come on, 
You're not the first one to be in prison for your faith. Don't get all pouty about this, John. No. He didn't need to downplay John's suffering. John's suffering was real. But what John needed was a change of perspective. John, who had had his eyes on Jesus, had allowed himself to put his eyes momentarily on his own circumstances and his own suffering to the exclusion of the big picture of what God was doing all around him. And he needed to be reminded, John, I'm, God's still in control, okay? I know this didn't fit your picture of how the Messiah's coming was going to be. In fact, John, it would really blow your mind if he really understood what was going to come after you died, that I'm going to die too. That would have really blown John's mind. He never would have seen that one coming. But John needed to know that God's work was going on. You know, here's the thing about John, what I love. When he had doubts, he went to Jesus to calm his doubts. He could have asked all his friends. He could have, he could have, he could have looked at the, at the other prisoners and said, what do you think? But John realized, you know what? I got these doubts. I need to go to Jesus. I, I need to, to question. I need to ask him. I can't physically get to him, but I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to send these messengers and ask Jesus what's going on. Here's the takeaway for us as believers. What's that thing? What's that thing in your life that shattered your expectations? That thing that shocked you. That thing that you did not see coming. And it just kind of blew you away. It might be something you're going through right now. Or it may be something in your past. But God did not work the way you expected him. And life did not turn out the way you expected it to turn out. You need to identify that thing in your life. If you know what it is, write it down on your notes or, or on a piece of paper. But fix it in your mind. And then you say, God, I've had doubts because of this. God, I've had difficulties. If John the Baptist, the very one who proclaimed, who was the first to proclaim, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If he could humble himself to say, Jesus, these situations, these circumstances, they've caused me to question. They're bothering me. Jesus, I need help. He reminds me of that one in Scripture who says, who says, Jesus, if you can, heal my child. And Jesus, I'll paraphrase, he basically says, what do you mean if I can? And the man comes back and he says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I love that saying in the Scripture because I feel like that so often. Lord, I do believe, but I got some unbelief that's going on and it's, this doubt, it's attacking me. And Lord, I need to be reinforced. I need to be encouraged. And who's the one to do that for us? It's Jesus. And you and I, we need to identify what are those things that are causing us to fully embrace and trust in God's love and care for us and go to him and say, God, I don't understand, but I just need you to, I just need you to reassure me. God, I just, I just need you to tell me it's going to be okay. 
I need you to help me see the big picture. And here's the second takeaway. Whether or not you can identify like something like that in your life, I almost guarantee you can think of someone else who's going through or been through a situation like that. Someone you know and you love and you care about and they are struggling or they have struggled with their faith because of some big thing happened. Maybe they got hurt in church. Guess what? People get hurt in church all the time. Why does that happen? Because we come here and we open ourselves up. And I don't mean just here in this place, but any body of believers. We come and we're, we open ourselves up to, to others. We get close to them. And so then when things go wrong, sometimes in a church, it's even worse than things going wrong somewhere else. And, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of folks out there that got hurt in the church. And they've let that circumstance dictate their life from there forward. God is telling us, hey, Let's, let's deal with our own issues. Let's come to Jesus and say, Jesus, encourage me. But let's also be sensitive to the others around us who've gone through that same kind of thing. And again, don't go belittle their problem. Be very careful about that. Don't say, oh, man, you've been divorced. You went through a divorce? I've been divorced three times. That's all right. You'll get through it. It'll be okay. Now, don't, don't belittle their problem. You know what? I, I've, I've realized that pain is pain. It, you, you can't get on this comparison level. I remember one time George Pridmore and I were talking. And it was not maybe a year or so after I'd been here at the church and we got to talking and George and I had become fast friends. And, and we had this discussion. I think he started it and brought it up and said, well, what's, you know, the pain of divorce versus the pain of becoming a widower? And we began to talk through this, and then we realized pain is pain. There's no way that he and I could stack up and say, well, this is more or this or less. Pain is pain. So whether you feel it or not, or whether you think their pain or their sorrow is legitimate, don't make light of it. The Bible tells us God loves us so much, he cares about even the, the number of hairs on our head. He cares about the, the little things, and because to God there are no little things. You may think they're little, but to that person they may be big. But you and I need to realize that there are true Christians. We don't need to, oh, you are not really a Christian because you're doubting now. No. They're like John the Baptist. They're people who really love Jesus, but they've been hurt really bad by life. And they need someone to come along and love on them and encourage them. And, and just through your life, not through you being all big and theological, and giving them this big explanation, but just simply through you loving them and being part of their life and being there for them, they begin to see that God's work in their life is not over. But it is still going on, even if the circumstances that they're facing haven't changed. Identify in your life what it is that's been holding you back from fully trusting God. And you bring that to him. And be on the lookout for those around you who have that same kind of struggle and ask God, Lord, how can I be the one who encourages them? Like those disciples of John who brought back the good news to him and encouraged him, you and I can be exactly the same. We can be the instruments of God to restore someone's faith and to bring them back to the place of hope and trust that they need to be.
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we, we make so many plans. And even though your word tells us that we shouldn't make plans without saying, Lord willing, this is only going to happen if God's in it, if it's his will. Lord, we get so fixated on our plans or even just our expectations of how we think life is going to turn out. And God, we're not in control. How much we may fool ourselves and deceive ourselves into thinking that we're in control, we're not. And so we're going to be disappointed. So God, I pray when those times come that we turn back to you. That we cry out to you because we know you love us and you care for us. And we would call upon your name to strengthen and renew us and restore us. Like John calling out and saying, Jesus, are you really the one? Like Peter who slipping into the waters called out, Jesus, save me. God, may we quickly turn our eyes to you so that we may be restored. And may we keep our eyes open for others who need to be touched and you might just happen to touch them through us. Lord, we pray that we would be obedient to your word and your word would change us and make us more like Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.